You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Good morning, Pasco Vale. As always, it's great to be here. I know it's cold and windy outside, and I hope that the warmth of this congregation would warm all me up as we prepare to hear the message for today. Unfortunately, Catherine and the kids uh, are not here, but they do send their greetings. And uh, it's great to all see you, see you all in person. Uh, worship in this wonderful place, isn't it? Now, also a warm welcome for those who may be listening online as well, because we're in a hybrid situation with the COVID and everything. Now, I hope last week you've enjoyed and gained an insight into the fantastic work that Rachel was doing up in the Northern Territories. Uh, we hope the Pascoville Church will continue to encourage and support her work to see the expansion of the gospel there. For those who are new or missed our early messages, we are now returning back to the Resolving Everyday Conflict uh, series, and today's message will be titled, Go to Higher Ground. We'll be exploring Matthew 18, 21 to 35, and thank you, Annie, for reading that for us. Uh, but before we begin, let's bow our heads and prepare our hearts to hear what the Lord has prepared for us today. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you that we have a book to go back to your words inscribed in our hearts so that we can continue to grow and to be transformed by you. We pray that as we explore your past, the, the word and parables today, that you will speak to each one of us in a special way. May the meditation of our hearts and the words that we preach today be wholly acceptable to you. In Jesus' most precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Now, three important words you should always say to your spouse or a good friend. What are they? Now, Catherine asked me that very question last week. Because obviously, Cross Couch had the sermon earlier than we did. Of course, I knew the answer. But I cheekily said, I did not know. And boy, was she upset with me. Well, she did not realize I was just creating content for today. And testing if she remembered what the message is about. Probably a good thing that she did not make it here today as well. Well, I guess she passed because while she was upset with me for a bit, she went to the higher ground and she forgave me for my comment. So praise the Lord, hallelujah for that. So what are these three words? Well, they are of course, I love you. Whilst we may treat this as being funny, the need to say, I love you, is more important than we make it. We need to not only say, I love you, but to actually show it. Only through loving others can we forgive others. You see, it is because of this love that we are saved in the very first place. John 3.16 writes, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. If not for God's love, we are nothing. We do not receive mercy. We won't have grace. And more importantly, we will not be reconciled to him. It is because he first loved us, that is why we need to love others. In John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus said, By this, 
everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's only through our love for others that sets us apart from other religions. It is through our love for our spouse that we set ourselves apart for one another. It's only because of your love for others that we can go to higher ground. Saying I love you is important, but meaning it is even more so. You know, sadly, the world makes a mockery of these three words. Because people say flippantly, and often they do, not, they do so in order to get something out of it. Something that they want. They abuse it. But Lord's, God's love, sorry, is unconditional. Unconditional. As a matter of fact, it is a sacrificial love. It is agape love. But I love you are not the only three words we need to constantly say to one another. The other three word is, I am sorry. This these three words may be simple. But they're very hard to say, isn't it? To say, I'm sorry, is to eat humble pie. To swallow your pride. Admit that we've done something wrong. And we need to beg for forgiveness. Our faith is in the hands of someone else. The person to whom we are seeking forgiveness. And forgiveness may not always be granted. Sometimes it does not give us the result that we desire and often it takes some time before any relationship can be restored. Saying I'm sorry is however important because oftentimes we think that our action or behavior does not warrant an apology. Sometimes we assume, we also assume that the other side is making a big deal of things, getting upset and all about our actions. But friends, that is how conflict starts. It is an assumption that our debt is less than someone else's. So why do we need to apologize for our mistakes? Sometimes our pride tells us that it's just a one's-off. Why does this person have to make such a big deal out of it and take offense? You know, I have to admit that often these thoughts do come to my mind as well. And I do need to apologize to my wife for thinking it as well. For example, there are times which after doing something in the garage, I forgot to turn off the lights, or worse still, I forgot to close the garage door. I think some of us have done that. Catherine tells me off for doing so because we sometimes leave it on the entire night. And it's just wasting electricity. Or when a garage door is left open, we run the risk of being robbed or, or have things stolen from the garage or potentially even a break-in. I know I don't do it often, but when I get told off, I do feel my pride being challenged. And sometimes I think to myself, Come on, it's not a big deal. It's just once. We're in the court. No one is going to be doing anything nasty. Why is my wife getting all upset at me enough to tell me off? Couldn't she just turn off the lights and close the door? After all, she does it sometimes too. 
ever had that thought in your mind? Instead of instinctively admitting your wrongdoing, we push our responsibility to someone else. We already see this from Genesis when God asked Adam why he ate of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. And Adam, rather than admitting, he points the finger at Eve and says, The woman you gave to me, she gave me the fruit to, of the tree and I ate. Now, did Eve force Adam to eat the fruit? No. Whose fault is it? Adam's. Now, before the women in the room start poking at the husbands and, or, or the males in the room, Eve was not doing much better. When she was confronted, the woman put the blame on the serpent, saying that it deceived me and I ate. Again, did the serpent force Eve to sin? No. Whose fault is it? Eve's. But we keep pointing our finger at someone else. From the creation of the human race, we never learned to admit or confront our mistakes. We always try to shift the blame or fault to someone else, isn't it? That's our quick get out of a jail card that we play. That's why it's so hard, so hard to say, I'm sorry, because we don't see the error in our ways. We always think that someone else's debt is greater than ours. Friends, we need to take ownership of our sins and realize we are not perfect and have sinned. As a matter of fact, all of us have sinned. The apostle writes in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 1 John 1.8 writes, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if we are sinners, shouldn't we be sorry? We expect apologies from others, but when they have wronged us, sorry, we expect apologies from others when they have wronged us, but yet when we have wronged others, we'd rather point the finger at someone else. Friends, we need to learn to say, I am sorry. Now the next three words are just as important. And that is, I forgive you. I forgive you. Only when we embrace the first two, word, first two things, then we are able to do the last. We cannot forgive others from our hearts if we have not first experienced love and forgiveness ourselves. Now Luke draws the correlation of love and forgiveness in Jesus' response to the sinful woman who anointed his feet with perfume. In this passage, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, because her many sins have been forgiven, she has loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Friends, it's not easy to forgive others, isn't it? If you have not first experienced the forgiveness of Christ, every bone in our being demands justice for the injustice that we have felt or has been inflicted upon us. But because you've been loved and you've been forgiven by Jesus, we can go to the higher ground to love 
and forgive others that have sinned against us. I forgive you. Very powerful words indeed. And we should be proud of it because despite our inadequacy, God forgave our sins through Jesus Christ. That is why it's so important that we forgive always. And we have to forgive as you have been forgiven and you need to forgive from your heart. Not just say, I'm sorry, I forgive you, but to forgive from your heart. Now let's take a look at that first point, forgiving always. Now Matthew chapter 18, 21, the, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now just reading that verse alone, I wonder if you observe Peter's, Peter's pride here. How often will my brother sin against me? Thinking about me. See that? Friends, I don't think we deliberately go out and sin against another brother or sister just for the sake of it, do we? Rather than seeing the fault in our own ways, we'd rather be focused on the fault of our brothers. Rather than rebuking our faults, we focus on the fault of others. Whenever we are in conflict, my friends, before we jump up and down and get mad with our brothers, we ought to first examine ourselves to see if we, if we have any faults that contributed to the conflict. Why is it about the other person? Why is it not about us? Why don't you look at ourselves and how we may have offended or sinned against our brother? If so, there's probably some I am sorry to be had, isn't it? Then before we even start thinking, about the mistake of others. But if the mistake is truly on our brother's part, Matthew chapter 18 verse 15 tells us that if your brother sinned against you, go tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Now some lessons are to be learned here. Do not embarrass the person you are confronting. As I said before, there is something we have, if there is something we have done wrong, take the higher ground and maybe apologize for your sin that you have committed against that brother. But also take the opportunity to help your brother understand how he or she has sinned against you. In so doing, rather than creating further conflict and making things worse, you've gained yourself a brother and you've restored a relationship rather than breaking it. Friends, we are not saying you flee from conflict. If you recall in my previous sermon on the slippery slope, fleeing from a conflict does not improve the situation and often it makes things worse. However, confronting, confronting the conflict with love, respect and grace on the other hand, helps diffuse tensions. But it's a tough thing to do. It takes a lot of effort from both parties. And how many times is too much? Peter asks. Now in the Jewish tradition, the magic number is three. If a man commits a transgression, the first, second, and third time he is forgiven. And the fourth time he is not forgiven. That's in the olden days. So Peter 
was generous when he suggested they should double it to maybe seven times. He had more than doubled the Jewish practice of pardoning the three times for an offense as described in Amos 2.6 and Job chapter 33 verse 29. But Jesus demanded more from us. Jesus demanded more from us. In the verse we see Jesus say, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. And as you've heard and you read, some translations say seventy times seven times. Well, seventy-seven or four hundred and ninety times actually doesn't sound like much. If you've been with someone for many years, that quarter would have been reached. But we know that Jesus was giving us an example. And here, he was not specifying the exact number of times that someone should forgive. So we have to be clear and understand what he's trying to say here. If we are keeping account of 77 or 490 wrongdoings of a brother, I don't think we can call ourselves very loving, can we? As a matter of fact, I think you are pretty, we are pretty much carrying a grudge all the way through. Also, who is keeping score? You, do you have a board that you're striking off every time someone does something wrong against you? Now, 10 times is hard enough to keep track, let alone 77 times or 7 times 70 times. The point is not to get fixated on a specific number, checklist or scorecard that Peter was trying to do. Instead, Jesus wants us to get into the habit of forgiving those who ask for forgiveness, that it becomes our second nature. There is no limit how many times we are willing to forgive someone who seeks forgiveness. We are called to always forgive. The next point is to, is to forgive as you have been forgiven. And here is where the parable comes in. Now we all should be familiar with this parable as this is probably not the first time you heard it preached or you've read it yourself. But bear with me as I set the context of this passage for our understanding. Now obviously we know that the first servant owed 10,000 talents in other translations. Now one talent is equivalent to 20 years wage for a laborer. Okay, so one talent is 20 years wage for labor. This servant owed 10,000 talents. If you were to bring it to the equivalent of the modern day money, it's approximately $10 billion. That's how much he owed. So with respect to the first servant, we know that the debt owed to the master was huge. We know that a servant pleaded on his knees for patience so that he may pay back everything. Now let's be honest here. Do you think that this is even possible? Based on the exchange rate we see on the slide, there was no way, no way the servant could ever repay his debt in his lifetime because what he owed was just so huge. Now, one may then ask, how did they accumulate to such a vast amount of debt as well? No logical debtor will ever let it go, get out of hand in this first place. 
I wish the banks in Australia would be so kind. I don't think that ever happens, is it? Once, they, once you don't pay your debts, what happens to you? They take your property and they sell it and recoup their cost. The only possible answer that this master could let this servant accumulate so much debt is love. That's the only possible answer. This master must have loved the servant. Had the master no love for the servant, he would have allowed the debt to accumulate. He would not have allowed that debt to accumulate to this level. And we all need to set our accounts at some point in our lives and our time. And that was what was exactly happening to this servant. We also know that the answer is love because the master did not defer the payment of the debt to a later time, but chose instead to cancel the debt and to let him and his wife and his children go. Imagine writing off a $10 billion check or a $10 billion debt to you. This is a stark contrast to the servant and how he treated another servant to which the debt is owed. We are told that the other servant owed a debt of a hundred denarii to the servant whose debt was forgiven. Now, to help us understand that, one denarius is equivalent to one day's wage for a laborer. So a hundred denarii is approximately $2,500 that is owed. As we can see, the amount owed is nothing, pittance, compared to that of the other servant. Yet this servant, rather than extending the mercy and grace that he received, he seized him, he choked him, and he demanded repayment. Likewise, the servant who was in debt called out for patience and mercy, but instead he was thrown into prison until he could repay the debt. Now the truth of the parable is this. Firstly, it is to remind us that our sin against God is unbelievably humongous. So huge is a debt that we cannot ever repay. The second is this. God's forgiveness is immensely, immensely immeasurable. No one writes off a debt this huge with no repercussions. We know that the repercussion was huge for God as he had to send his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you and for me. The third is this, your brother's sin against you is comparatively small. One is unpayable, the other is possibly repaid. The last is this, our lack of forgiveness is offensive to God. Our lack of forgiveness is offensive to God. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's what was written in Scripture. Similar to the master in the parable, the unforgiveness of the first servant was met with swift punishment, despite the debt being forgiven. Forgiveness 
It's just not just needed. It's not just needed. It is necessary. If you recall from our previous study, Paul prioritized that Philemon forgave Onesimus over his needs whilst in prison. Why do we find it hard to forgive others? And perhaps not make it necessary and a priority as Paul did. Well, it's because we tell ourselves this lie is to justify our actions. We think to ourselves, our sin against God is not so big. We think we are generally good people. We go to church, we, go to, we give to the needy, needy, and therefore we are not bad people, not like dot, dot, dot. Or we deserve God's forgiveness. We think ourselves bigger than God and that it is God who owes us and not us, Him. Or perhaps other people's sin against us is bigger than our sin against God. Just because we are experiencing the impact firsthand, we think to ourselves that the fault of others outweigh the fault we have against God. Or our lack of forgiveness is acceptable in God's eyes. Our self-righteousness mentality creates an illusion that God is for us, not against us. So if someone faults us, it's okay not to forgive. This is a massive delusion of many to justify our unforgiving heart. Much like the servant who threatened the other because he was enforcing justice as he ought to. Forgetting just a moment ago, a moment ago, he was in exactly the same shoes as this servant right now. And he was threatening. We need to forgive from the heart. We need to forgive from the heart. It has to be willing. It has to be taught true. And it has to be intentional. Only with a transformed heart from the gospel, can we truly forgive from the heart? The consequences of unforgiveness is serious. The scripture says, And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother. From your heart is not only needed it is necessary now if we want to be able to forgive from the heart we must first begin with the gospel we must let it convict our heart correct our way of thinking and living and, and letting it convert our living and transform us to become more like Christ each day. We need to fix our vertical relationship with God. Then we can effectively address our horizontal relationships with one another. Resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. You are drinking the poison while you're waiting for the other person to die. Like a poison, it courses through your body, bit by bit by bit, 
destroying you from within. We become bitter, resentful, full of anger and rage. Friends, what good is that to us? What good is that to us? What is the point of letting your anger take hold? The other hand, on the other hand, sorry, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and only to discover that the prisoner was you. There is a Chinese saying in the uh, old martial arts movie that goes something like this. In Chinese, for those, I'm not sure, I don't think there's <laughs> Chinese here, but I'll just say it anyway. It means revenge begets revenge. When will it ever end? And if you want to summarize all the Chinese martial arts movie out there, it can be described as you kill me, I kill you, you dishonor me, I dishonor you. And it goes on a vicious cycle that never ends until one party is destroyed. Yes, we Chinese people are vicious. Forgiveness is certainly not in our DNA. But forgiveness is both a decision that we make and a process we need to go through. It is not always easy. The, but it is most certainly necessary. So to conclude, remember my friends, oh, sorry, can you get a next slide please? Next slide please. So remember, my friends, to forgive always. To forgive as you have been forgiven. And most importantly, you need to forgive from the heart. Go to the higher ground. Seek God first. Remember that not only, that only with a transformed heart from the gospel can we truly forgive from our hearts. Don't take offense at the slightest mistake of your brother and sister. Look at yourself. Is there something that I need to change too? The debt against you is nothing compared to the debt that you owe to God. Be the peacemaker, just as Paul was for Philemon and Onesimus. Be the one that initiates repentance and seeks forgiveness. When we love someone, you are concerned about their well-being as ours. So what if we need to eat humble pie first and offer an apology when it was their fault in the first place? Does it really matter? If you love the person, does it really matter? Just as Jesus was so loved, just as Jesus so loved us, he died on the cross first for our sins, so that he, we can be, realize our sins and repent and be reconciled to him. Friends, as we close, let me leave you the words from the Apostle Paul to the Colossians in chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. It says, Put on then, as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. I pray the Lord will bless you and challenge you today to go to higher ground 
when encountered with conflict. And may our forgiveness of those who have done injustice against us be wowed by the love that you have for them, the grace and the mercy that you extend that comes from the Lord Jesus, so that they too can experience and see Christ in you and in me. I wish you all a blessed week, and let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your words. Indeed, it is hard to say I'm sorry, and sometimes it's even harder to say I forgive you. But Lord, help us to remember that this comes from you. You loved us first. You accepted our iniquities, and you forgave us for all the wrongs that we've done so that you can build our, the relationship back with us once again. Lord, we just pray that as we leave this place, that you speak to us. Maybe there is a conflict that we are facing right now, or perhaps there is a conflict that we are, we are in with someone else at the moment. Help us, Lord, to take the higher ground. Help us, Lord, to live as you have, to extend the grace and the mercy to that person and to make peace and to win a brother to Christ rather than to build a barrier for coming to Jesus. Holy Spirit, convict our hearts, transform our hearts, and train our hearts for righteousness, Lord. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.